kind of what I talk, uh, touched on a little bit here, you know, we, uh, Kelly and I feel very privileged to have served here in the East region. You know, we're very thankful for the friends that we've made uh, during that time, the great relationships we've had and we're going to continue to have. We're so grateful for that. You know, definitely want to thank uh, the vets for their leadership. Oh, there's Derek. Okay. Definitely want to thank the vets for their leadership um, and definitely just giving us the opportunity to work here in Dallas. Uh, we're definitely so grateful for that and grateful for you guys. Uh, you know, I'm very thankful for the love of the Hoopers and uh, their open door policy, not just with us, but also with the college students. And, uh, you know, that's something that when you work with people and those people get loved and feel loved, you never forget that, especially when that's your family. And you feel like your family's taken care of. You feel like your family's loved. Oh, you never forget something like that. And so we're so grateful for that. And we're so thankful for that. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, Will. <laughs> I'm going to miss you most of all, buddy. So to find someone else to pick on, amen. But no, we're very grateful for the Garcias. We're very grateful for the Mosleys. We know they're going to do a great job here. That's Will. He did that. No one told him to do that. That's what he looked like. You know, lastly, I'm, you know, I'm, so, I'm so grateful for the campus students. I'm so grateful how uh, we've got to work with them and so grateful how we've got to see them become family. You know, I, I think looking at who they are and what they've gone through, what they've wrestled with spiritually, you know, I, they're not going anywhere. And that's one of the things exciting me. These are decisions that were lifelong decisions. Something I like to say, it's not just something cool you did in college. This is something that they're giving their heart to. And we're so thankful for them. We love you guys. And uh, you still have our number. So you know what to do with that. Uh, amen. But, you know, we're so encouraged. You know, Derek asked me this morning to speak about whatever I want. Anything. And I panicked. I was like, I don't know. Should I just keep doing the spirit and acts? Or I don't know. So what I decided to do was talk about something I've been studying out, something I've been learning. You know, it's something that it's for me personally, it's an idea I want to better understand. Because I feel like a lot of times, uh, you know, I read something, oh, that was really cool, and I go on. But this is an idea I really just want to better understand. And it's a saying that I feel like for me personally, I need to put into practice. Something I got to do more of. And the title of my lesson this morning is Make Every Effort. Make Every Effort. Effort. Like I said, this is something I'm just trying to understand. And I, I, want you to, I want you to come along with me on this and let's see if we can't figure a few things out and, and help understand what it really means to make every effort. You know, in my research, I found this phrase mentioned 11 times. Maybe more. Apologize. This is the research I did. I found it, found it was mentioned 11 times, once in the Old Testament, 10 times in the New Testament. Five of these refer, uh, references deal with a salvation or making an effort to save someone. Four of them deal with the discussion of unity. And two of these dealing with unity talks about having peace leading towards unity. One deals with growing towards maturity. And one deals with helping others remember their decision. You know, Jesus talks about making every effort. Paul talks about making every effort. Peter talks about it four times in the book of Second Peter it was important. 
this idea of we need to make sure we're making every effort. You know, what I'm starting to understand is it's not just enough to try. It's not just enough to try. We're being told to make every effort. Try with everything we've got. Because we love God. Give everything we have because of our love of God. Not because someone's telling us to. Not because we feel compelled to. But we are compelled by Christ's love. And this is our response. I will do anything you ask of me. Tell me where to go, I'll go. Tell me what to do, I'll do it. Because I love God. And there's no one that's going to take that away from me. You know, and this got me thinking, what would people say about my relationship with God? Am I someone that makes every effort? Is that how people view me? What would your best friend say about you? What would your spouse say about you? Are you the type of person that makes every effort for God? You know, we have things we're going to make every effort in our lives, things we enjoy, things we'll go out of our way to do, but are we making every effort for Christ? You know, as a kid, I really loved to read comics, and not just the super cool one now with like the Marvels and the DC, but I also read like Garfield. It was an easy read, so I read Garfield. <clears throat> read a comic called Foxtrot. I also read a comic called Farside. You know, maybe you've seen this comic before. It says, School for the Gifted, and if you haven't figured out, he's pushing to try to get in to the door. You know, this guy's working really hard. And it's the school for the gifted, so we're to assume he's really smart and he can't figure quite out how to get into the building. You know, a lot of times we think of ourselves in that way. Or I can be, a, you know, someone who does this. I'm really smart. I'm working really hard. So the things I'm doing must be right. Well, not necessarily. How do we know if we're living for Christ? You know, Jeff, but, but I read and I pray just like Derek tells me to do. Good. So do a lot of religious people. They read and pray all the time. But if we're not putting it into practice, we miss the whole point. We miss the whole point. And so that's the challenge I want to give today is don't just read and pray. Yes, do that. That's really good. But then live it out. Go that extra mile. Make that effort. You know, I believe making every effort entails so much more than we think. Or to be honest, so much more than we can fully understand. But we just got to go, God, use me. I'll do whatever, whenever, however, just tell me. God, just give me direction. Pray for wisdom. That's one of the things I love to do. I love to pray for wisdom. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm not that smart sometimes. A lot of times I know some stuff. And there's other times, God, help me out here. Maybe only some of you can relate to that. God, help me out. Give me some direction. Please help me. We need God's wisdom. You know, like I said, this is something I've really been trying to discover for myself. You know, so my hope today is that we can walk away with a better understanding of this concept. And if I can just inspire one person, just one person to do better, that would make my week. <laughs> Tell you what, Fred Hyde already said he's going to do it, so I'm super encouraged about that. <laughs> feeling super excited, so everything else now is just icing. So maybe one more would be super. But just looking at our lives and going, hey, is there things I can do better in? 
are there things I can do better? Evaluate. So there's two things, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to talk about today that are kind of discussed more than the others. One of them talks about faith, while the other, other one talks about unity. So those are the two points I'm going to be talking about this morning. So point number one is make every effort in your faith. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 13. Figure we'll make a little effort this morning and turn to our Bibles. See what I did there? Okay. Um, very excited about that. That's how I was raised. I carry my Bible. I feel like if it's always up there, I may forget my Bible, and I'll feel okay forgetting my Bible, and that's a slippery slope. I don't want to go down. So let's look in our Bibles. You know, as, a, as we start this journey, I think it's only fitting to start with Jesus. We've got to start with Jesus. That's who's going to have the answers. That's who's going to point us in the right directions. So let's start with Jesus in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. What a powerful scripture. And I remember the first few times... I read this passage. You know, I got my own, you know, this is, this is how my mind works. Well, those are for those, you know, less aggressive Christians. Or maybe they're a different denomination of Christians. And I categorize myself in the side, well, you know, I'm probably good. Because I'm going to church and I'm doing the right things. I go to church more than most people. So I must be in this category over here. But the scripture doesn't say that. It says, the people who know Jesus, who ate at his table, who knew him personally, he spoke to them in their streets, some of them would be left out. What were they lacking? What was different about them? What were they missing? You know, Jesus calls us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Every effort. Not do the things that work for you, not do the things that you just want to do, but do everything the Bible calls you to do. Everything the Bible calls you to do. You know, there's a cool Bible talk a lot of times we used to do back in the day where you open up your Bible and you go, okay, what part of the Bible don't you like? Well, I don't like this part. And then they rip it out and everybody freaks out. Oh, you ripped out the Bible. Well, it was like one of those little Good Samaritan Bibles, so it didn't really count, but um, (laughs) they don't have everything in there anyway. But the people are freaking out. Why are you doing that? Well, you're not going to listen to it anyway, so I might as well just take it out, right? Oh, I see what you did there. It's that mentality of the Bible calls us to follow all of it. Not just the parts that we feel good about. And there's some things that are easier for others. I get that. But man, it stretches my faith. There are some pastors, ah, I just got to work harder. You know, and I'm not perfect, and I get that. But I just got to have the mentality, I just need to try. You know, I know it's difficult, but I'm going to give my all here. And whatever happens, happens. We got to have that mentality to make every effort. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Kelly and I feel so blessed to work with the college students. We're an amazing group of students. 
And we have one amazing student who's a freshman at uh, UTD. His name's Haile. And uh, Haile's awesome. We love him. I'm, I'm very proud of him. You know, one of the things, uh, not to get into too much detail, that Haile had to go through in order to become a disciple was he had to talk to his, his family about making this decision. And as, and as he was going through this, his family told him, if you do this, I never want to see you again. I never want to talk to you again. Don't ever come home. That's a rough decision. That's a rough decision. But Haile saw the cross. Haile saw the love of the church. He said, you know what? This is what I got to do. I need to be here. Some of us will never face anything like that. We've got families that love us, families that support us, whether they're in the church or they're not. They just love us. This was, a, this was a, against the family. It was a mark against the family. You don't do this. Haile saw God's love. Haile saw Jesus. And so he made every effort. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm so encouraged about what he's going to do here. You know, I think a lot of us, we forget Luke 14. You know, I've got to put God before my family, my friends, my own interests. And we forget. No, God wants you. <laughs> You're the one that's going to have to stand before him. You're the one that's going to have to give an account. I want to be ready. <laughs> I want to say, God, I tried my best. And you know what? It's probably not better than some, but he's still going to love me because I tried. He's still going to love me. You know, I want to clarify this just so it doesn't sound like if you're not trying, you're not doing right. No, no, I don't want, to, I don't want you to hear that. You know, I'm not saying if you're not making every effort of every second of every day, you're not a disciple. That's not what I'm getting at. But what I am trying to grasp is the difference between active and passive Christianity. That's the big difference. And you all know what that looks like. You're all smart enough to have figured that out because you all know your hearts. And you go, okay, I, I know I'm really trying here and maybe I came up short. You know what? That's okay. That's totally fine because you can look in the mirror and go, I gave everything I had and I did my best here. That's fine. That's totally fine. But it's the difference between being an active Christian and being a passive Christian. We've got to strive to be active. And there can be things that get in the way. I understand that. But what's your heart then when those times happen? Do you run away? Do you sit down and say nothing? Or do you go, hey, this is me. I'm a mess. Help. Please help. Because I just want to be right with God. And I don't care who knows it. And that's got to be our mentality. We want to strive for that active type of Christianity. You know, I, I think one of the things that can get in the way is, well, I really just don't feel called by God. Well, let me tell you this. You're all called by God. You're all called. Now, we're all called to different roles, but we're all called by God. You know, today is super encouraging with special missions. That's super encouraging because we have an opportunity to support others in other countries who are less fortunate than us. And, you know, like Derek mentioned, we may not be able to be there personally here, but let me help in whatever way I can. And I know a lot of you do that today, and that's so awesome. That's so encouraging. And we have also great projects. We've got Hope Worldwide. We've got Hope Youth Corps. We have the MLK Day of Giving. We've got Saturday Academy. We've got so many different things that they're great programs that we're a part of, and they're awesome. And we need these programs. You know, right now as a church, we're trying to give a half a million dollars to help people. That's blow away. 
half a million dollars because we see a need and we just want to help. That is super encouraging. But what are you doing personally outside those programs? You know, we've set all these things up for you to be successful, and that's really good. And, I need, you know, we all need to be a part of it. And the church has done a great job. But what are we doing personally to be successful, to serve God? And they look differently to different people, and that's fine. But what are we doing personally on our own? You know, turn to Second Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, when I was in high school, I played basketball. You know, it's hard to tell a short white guy, but, you know, I did my best. And there was this drill that we did where the coach puts the ball on the ground, and there's a guy who's protecting the ball, and there's a guy trying to get the ball. And so the guy protecting the ball is, is the term we use is boxing out. So he puts his arm up. He has to play by the rules. He has to move his feet. He's not actually allowed to touch the ball. He's trying to keep the person from getting to the ball, where the other person can push, pull, do whatever he wants, make every effort, in a sense, to get to this ball. It's not a very fair drill. It can kind of get a little um, ugly, for lack of a better term. But the idea is, you know, I started to think as I was playing this, I'm in a losing situation here. If I'm on defense, if I'm protecting the ball, all I can do is just hope to not lose a little bit longer. Because eventually I'm going to get tired, or eventually I'm going to get cheap-shotted, and the guy's going to get the ball, and then I've got to run because I didn't play good enough defense, and it's not a fair system, but, you know, welcome to high school basketball. But this is how it works. You know, and a lot of times we can do that with our faith. We're just playing defense, <laughs> trying to hold off for as long as we possibly can. But we're not doing anything. We're just trying not to lose. It's a scary place to be. It's kind of a sad place to be. I'm a big college basketball fan. My team's the San Diego State Aztecs because I went to school there for a little bit. Woo. We're always like the best defensive team in the country. And then we always score like 30 points a game. And if you don't know anything about basketball, that's really bad. So every year it's like, well, it'd be nice if they can make a layup. Like I'll be watching them because they're on like 11 o'clock at night. And we just don't make anything. It's, it's the saddest thing to watch. You kind of hurt after a while. You're like, all right, I'm just going to go to bed. Because it, it's not fun to watch anymore. And, and a lot of times it's like, the only way you're going to win is if you learn to put the ball in. You've got to put it in the basket. You have, or you just got to hope the other team gives up, I guess. But life doesn't work like that. If we're constantly just playing defense, it's not going to work out. We've got to have the, the mindset, I want to add to my faith. I want to give everything I can for my faith. You know, I think a lot of times I try to disguise, like, stepping back as, you know, I'm just being safe. I'm just trying to, just trying to protect myself. Or, you know, even with my daughter. You know, I, I know right now she's two years old. My oldest is two. My youngest is eight months. And she's got a little bit of her dad in her. And she likes to jump off stuff. And so she, we have this beanbag. She'll move it around the house. And then she'll find something and she'll jump off it. And after she's done that 20 times, she'll find something higher. And we start freaking out. And she's still trying to jump off of it because she thinks it's hilarious. I love her. But sometimes I just want to hold her and I just don't want to let go. Stop. I don't want you to get hurt. I want to protect you. Or I'll just give her like layers and layers of pads or something. Because may maybe that will be what helps her. But she'll figure out a way to take them off and she'll do it anyway. 
you know, I think a lot of times, you know, speaking to the parents here a little bit, we can be like that with our kids. We can be very overprotective. Shelter them from the world. And we justify, hey, I'm just, I'm just protecting my kid from the world. As opposed to teaching them right from wrong. What do you do when you get in these situations at school? Because eventually, you're going to face those questions. You get asked the college students. Even ask a lot of these high school students. They're getting asked those questions. And they're going to learn in the home how to answer those questions. And if, my, if my mom and dad just told me to run away, it's going to start to get weird after a while. <laughs> I've got to learn how to stand up for myself. And I've got to make sure, for me personally, I'm teaching my kids that. What do you do in these situations? How do you act? The Bible calls us to add to our faith, to nurture our faith, to grow, to our, you know, grow our faith. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. The Bible's calling us to add to our faith. Make every effort to grow in these areas. Make every effort to grow. And the Bible's calling us each individually to do that. It's calling each of us to grow in our faith. You know, and Peter saw what would happen if we didn't do it. You'll become unproductive. You'll become ineffective if you're not making every effort to do these things. If you're not going out of your way, hey, I just, gotta, I just want to try here. I just want to give it my all in these situations. You know, if I could be honest, sometimes I feel like we get to the point where we expect the community of the church to add to our faith for us. We get to that point. We wait for the programs or the really, really cool series on Acts lessons to help us grow in our faith, which they should. But it comes back to that same thing. What are we doing? What am I doing? Am I doing enough to add to my faith? Because now I'm responsible for more people. Now I'm responsible for two daughters. So not only do I have to add to my faith, I have to teach them how to add to their faith. I've got to constantly be learning these things. But it starts with me making that effort. You know, there are 168 hours in a week. If you count the two hours at church and the two hours for midweek, that works out to about 2% of your time with the community of believers. 2% of your week is spent with the family. So what about that other 98%? What are we doing? What are we doing? And some of you, you're like, man, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. That's awesome. That's a blow away. But you're the ones that's got to be able to stand in the mirror and go, you know, God, I'm doing everything I can, or eh, I need to do more. I need to do more. You know, I, the image that I have in my mind is, uh, think of it like a bird. Are you the type of bird that's learning to fly, or are you just comfortable being fed in that nest? Man, I'd really like to fly. That'd be really cool. But I'm not going to learn how to do it just sitting there. I've got to do it. I've got to learn these things. I want us all to have the heart just to want to fly. It's awesome, right? Yeah, okay. All right. You know, I think of someone that makes every effort 
I think of an awesome sister. Her name's Crystal Washington. And uh, please, on a separate note, please be praying for Crystal. Uh, her dad recently had a stroke and had to have brain surgery. Um, Crystal is currently in San Antonio. Um, her mom's a disciple, and her dad has not made that decision yet. But it, this is a rough time, so definitely please be uh, praying for the Washington family. Um, but Crystal, <clears throat> a little while ago, we were raising money. We were trying to raise money for a special. We were trying to raise money for ICMC, and she didn't have that money. But she wanted to get that money. And so as a campus, we put on a walkathon. We called it a jogathon, but it wasn't a jog. It was a walkathon. Um, that's what it was. And, you know, and, and give you some perspective, I, I think I kind of like <laughs> slow walked a mile, and I felt really good about myself. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, and that was probably more than some, if we're honest. But Crystal, Crystal knew she needed the money. She knew she had to do whatever it took. She ran 10 miles. And to give you perspective, she ran about nine of those, and she walked about one. Because she knew that in order for her to do these things, she had to do something about it. And if this was the opportunity in which she was going to be able to raise that money, this is what she had to do. You know, I think that is someone who made an effort. Hey, this is my circumstances. This is what life's given me. I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I'm proud of Crystal, and I'm very excited for what she's going to be doing here at UTD uh, in the fall. But... You know, I think that's kind of the mentality that I, I want to have. I want to go that extra mile. The Bible says if someone asks you to go one mile, you go two. You go two. And if you can't go two, well, you better start training. <laughs> better start learning how to go two miles. You know, the other area I want to focus on today is making every effort in unity. So I'm going to end with this area, <clears throat> talk about unity. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. Just talking about being unified. Because we love each other. Because we're family. We just want to be unified. And we want to make every effort to get to that point. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, it's a very interesting passage to me personally. It tells me to be completely humble and gentle. Not my strong points, but that's what it's telling me to do. And then it tells me to be unified with everybody in the Spirit. You know, Acts 2, that's what all the church, they had everything in common. But church, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard to be unified, (laughs) at least for me personally. Maybe none of you struggle with that, but that's hard for me to be unified. You know, I was raised in a home that loved the Boston Red Sox. That's what I was raised, and I'm very excited Gordon's here to cheer with me. We're glad to have him here in Dallas just for that reason, to be a Red Sox fan with me. (laughs) But the question you're always asked if you're a Red Sox fan is, do you like the Red Sox more, or do you hate the Yankees more? You always hate the Yankees more. You always hate the Yankees more. That's just how it works. This one time I walked in to get fitted for a a tux because I was going to a wedding and the guy there saw me wearing a Red Sox hat. He's like, are you a Red Sox fan? I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm a Yankee fan. Oh, he was kind of mean to me. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I should expect that because that's just how it works. I'm not supposed to be unified with Yankees fans. That's not supposed to happen. Cowboys feel the same way about the Eagles. You're not unified with them. 
That's why Keenan has a really hard time being in our region. Keenan Knights and Eagles fan. Make fun of them. Do whatever you need to do. But it's hard. But the Bible calls us to be what? Completely humble and gentle. Make every effort to be unified. Man, that's hard. But you know what, church? We're a family. We're a family. We are called to love each other, no matter what. In fact, John 13 says that's how we know if we're really disciples, by our love for each other. If we're not loving each other, people are going to look at us and go, that guy doesn't follow Jesus. There's no way. That's how we know, is our love for each other. You know, I think for us, for me, it's a question I've been wrestling with. I want to put it before you. What do you do if you disagree with somebody? Can you still love that person? Do you still want to? Heaven forbid, what if you disagree with someone over doctrinal issues? That's not the way I read my Bible. What do you do? How do you act? What if you disagree about how the church is being run? How do you act? What are you doing? What do we do in these situations? And I believe, number one, we need to remember we are unified because of Jesus. And that's the only thing that matters. We love each other because Jesus loved us first. When we were at our worst, when we were at our darkest, we were at our ugliest, Jesus loved us. And like Tommy put it very nicely, and he forgave us. He forgave us. And so we are called to do the same. Called to do the same. You know, but it's interesting. Once I started reading about this, I noticed something different about the disciples than I thought. Jesus let the disciples argue. He let them argue. They weren't very good at it, but he let them do it. Look at this. Luke chapter 9. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Well, none of them, but, you know, that's a whole other issue. But an argument started. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And you guys know the story. You've got to be like this child. And he let them argue. The Bible said Jesus knew their thoughts. He didn't care about what they were talking about. The argument wasn't the issue. It was where the argument was going. The heart started to get a little weird. People probably started to get a little bit angry. And so Jesus stopped it. Because it was no longer a productive discussion. It became ungodly. You know, Luke 22, they do it again. They argue about being the greatest. Again, Jesus let them argue. And then he stopped it when it became ungodly. You know, here's what I learned. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. If we miss that point, we're going to argue till we're blue in the face, thinking we're doing it for God, and we're going to get nowhere. We're going to get nowhere. You know, I'm in a very interesting situation. Ben Borland, one of my best friends in the whole world, lived together for many years, did a lot of stuff that I'll probably have material for lessons for the rest of my life just doing things with him. And he's going to Oklahoma City, and I'm replacing him. 
I'm going to see all the cracks in his ministry. I'm going to see them all. And the same thing will happen to the person that comes here and takes our place. They're going to see all the stuff we did wrong in our ministry. What do I do with that? Do I look at them and go, well, I don't trust you anymore because look at all the terrible things you've done. No. In fact, if, if that's why we don't trust people because they do something differently than us, that's sinful and you need to repent now. It's divisive. You're the one in sin. We can't be like that. So what do I got to do? Well, I got to go talk to them. Ask questions. Learn the heart. And Ben and I have had many discussions on things we don't necessarily agree with how to do. But at the end, the heart of Ben is, you know what? I'm just trying to love people. Trying to make sure they feel loved. And I want to advance God's kingdom. That's what I want to do. So we're on the same page and I feel good about it. But if we don't have those talks, it's very easy for me to get bitter. It's very easy for me to store things up in my heart. And then it's very easy for me to resent him. And you know whose fault that is? It's my fault. I'm the one in sin if I'm doing that. We need to be able to have conversations with people when we don't agree. Hey, let's air it out. Let's be completely humble and gentle. Let's learn from each other. But let's figure out how we can be unified in moving forward. Because we got to be unified. The church won't continue to please God if we're not unified. Maybe for a little while, but it'll fall on its face because nobody likes each other. We need each other. Amen? Amen? All right. Um, you know, I know this is going to be very hard for you to some to believe, especially my campus students. I'm not perfect. Um, and this may even be harder for, you know, some of you to believe you're not perfect either. Some of you know that. Some of you are still working on that. Amen. But you know what? I still love you. God still loves you. God still believes in you. We're all works in progress. And we're going to continue to be works in progress till we get to heaven. And if we don't remember that about each other, we're going to get very frustrated. Why aren't you perfect? Because you're not either. Don't put that on me. <laughs> we got to remember we need each other. And the only way I'm going to continue to grow is by your help. That's the only way I'm going to continue to grow. I need men in my life to help me. You know, I'll tell you, it's, on, it's very hard to stand up here sometimes. It's like, why weren't you funny? Oh, I'm sorry. I tried really hard. Were you talking about me on that point? No, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. Every word I say gets dissected. I'm sure Derek or anybody who else has stood up here understands that feeling. Do you have a secret agenda? Are you, are you talking about me? No, I'm just reading my Bible. I apologize. <laughs> apologize. Are you almost done? I'm getting kind of hungry. Right, teens? No? Uh, amen. Those thoughts... Those thoughts can get in our mind. And they can be very disunifying. Because now it's about me. Now I'm focused on me. And you didn't please me. That's ungodly. God, love each other. You know, I, I started to think about Philippians 4, verse 2. The sisters, or the, the two spiritual sisters, Eodi and Syndike, they're known in the book of life for arguing. That's what they're mentioned in the Bible for doing, being disunified. What if that was you? How hard would it be to go to church every Sunday once that letter came out? Hey, what's your name? Yodaki. Ooh. You doing all right? Yes. It's been 20 years. Let it go. 
And these sisters are probably awesome. They're probably amazing sisters who were disunified. And it was so bad, Paul's writing this letter from jail, and someone has to go report them. Hey, how's the church going? Well, it's good, except we've got two sisters that won't stop fighting. Can you address that? That's probably not what Paul wants to hear, sitting in jail, waiting probably to die. It's like, well, I've got to make sure I guess these sisters are okay then. Ow. Don't let that be said about you. That's what you're known for. Be unified. Love each other. Be completely humble and gentle and make every effort to do so. You know, I want to end kind of with this last idea. I had a talk with my dad and, uh, because I, I can't relate to someone in that walk of life. I'm not there yet. Hopefully one day God allows it, I'll be at that point. But someone who's a little bit older, how do you deal with this issue? How do you deal with being unified at this age? Because as he expressed to me, it's very easy to get in a routine. It's very easy to get settled in your ways and just be comfortable with the status quo. It's very easy to do that. And there's a scripture I want to read. Numbers chapter 8. This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of the meeting. But... At the age of 50, they must retire. A lot of you wish you could retire at 50, but, you know, amen. They must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of the meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This, then, is how you are to assign the responsibilities to the Levites. You know who's supposed to lead the group? The 25-year-olds. You know who's supposed to help them? The 50-plus-year-olds. So if these guys aren't ready, these guys aren't ready, you know who that's on? You. That's what it says. We're responsible for the younger generation. We're responsible for helping them know what's up, helping them learn, helping them grow, helping them know what to wear to church on Sundays, helping them make sure they get fed every once in a while and not only eating top ramen. That's us. This group right here needs this group right here. They need you. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. There's a lot of wisdom right here. There's a ton of wisdom right here. And some of you go, no, you don't understand. I've only been a disciple for like a year. You've got a lot more life wisdom than they do. And there's a lot of things from your past that you go, hey, don't do that. And I'll tell you why. They need you. And if this church is going to continue to grow the way God wants it to grow, it's going to be because of you guys helping these guys. It will be. They need you. We need to be unified. We need to make every effort to be unified. This idea for me of making every effort is a very unique topic. But it's also a very straightforward one. Work hard for God. Use the scriptures to allow it to point you in the right direction. You know, this is for something for me personally. I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to grow, grow in, and I want to continue to put into practice. And so let's make a decision today that we're going to be faithful. We're going to work really hard at it. And we're going to be unified. And we're going to work even harder at that. No 
matter what. Amen? Church, thank you so much. I love you. Amen. Y'all hear me okay? That's an impacting, impacting journey that our brother Jeff Smith uh, has been on. 